1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is where we are going to start. If you have your uh, material, uh, we are in lesson 7 and I am just finishing this up because I started this while Brother Sam was, uh, was working uh, one week and so I wanted to try to get through this. In fact, I will get through the rest of this this evening, some things to consider in regards to the will of God, and uh, then, Lord willing, he will be back uh, next week with the church, the local church, and uh, looking forward to that lesson. How do we find God's will for our life? Let's start by praying. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for the love that you had for us from eternity past. You set your love upon us, knowing who we are, what we are, what we would become. And it has nothing to do, that was not the reason you selected us, but simply for your grace, or by your grace and for your glory. I'm thankful, Lord, that we can study your word. And as we look to understand what God's will is for our lives, I ask that you would help us to consider this faithfully to look within our own hearts and minds to see if there are things that do not line up with Scripture or areas where we are not being faithful to the will of God. We know that, as Dad, is, uh, as Dad said this last Wednesday uh, in the prayer meeting, that there are times that we can have hindered prayer. We do not want to be a church that has hindered prayers. We want to be a church and a group of people, a body of believers collectively and individually, that are living in such a way that that we can pray for revival and expect revival to come. And that's how it comes, is through a changed heart, a changed life. So I ask this evening that you would help us again as we open up your word. Thank you for each one who is here this evening. For those who may be sick, we ask that you would encourage their hearts, knowing that you're the great physician and that you can bring healing. For those who choose not to be here, that you would work on their hearts, that you would bring them to come and join once again in the fellowship of the saints. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How do we find God's will for our life? How many of you have ever played the game of life? Okay. I know, boring, isn't it? Sometimes, yeah, yeah the, game, the game of life. Uh, that's the one where, now I understand it's a little bit different, but I can remember when we were growing up as kids, uh, that was one of the games that my sister Michelle, she used to like playing the game of life. Um, and you could almost guarantee when she landed on certain things, this is what she was going to select. She was going to select marriage. She was going to select kids. Uh, she was going to go down that path. Whereas me, I wanted to go down the college path. And so how would you get to the next space? Nope. Spin, exactly right, Aramie. You would spin, and it would go, and I love the sound. And then it would stop. And sometimes it would stop right on one of those little white pins, and it would stop right between. And then we would have an argument. Was it this side, or was it this side? And then invariably, the siblings would say, nope, you got to spin again. So you'd spin again, and sometimes it would happen where that little thing would catch a second time. Well, unfortunately, there are a lot of people in church today, and that's the way they treat the will of God. 
they get they 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 look at what their life should be they know what it should be because the 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 reality is this when we come to church a lot of times we're not looking for um we're not looking for a completely new revelation when it comes to what we understand from god's word what we're actually looking for is affirmation for what how we want to live our lives in other words God, I want you to bless what I've already chosen that I'm going to do. Now, again, we talked the last time when we had the lesson, and I, as I share with you, we can make a choice. We could have gone to whatever country in the world as a missionary that we wanted to go to. I mean, as long as it's an open door. I mean, obviously, we're not going to North Korea right now, but we can make a choice to go into whatever country. We could have gone to Argentina. We could have gone to Liberia or to Iceland or to any, con- any country in Africa or in Southeast Asia like Breck Merkel does. The problem is, how do missionaries, as an example, get to that point where they make a decision about where they go? Now, take my parents. My parents, for a number of years, actually served not only overseas, but served here in helping struggling churches. So a church might only have... Eight, ten people, and their goal was to go into a church and be able to raise that church up to the point where they could call a pastor. So, do you think there's only one church in all of America right now that is looking for somebody to come in and do that kind of work? Absolutely not. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of churches all over the U.S. that don't have a pastor, that don't have a shepherd. Maybe because they can't afford one. Maybe because it could be because of sin within the congregation because they're not willing to change. And when you get to that point, how do you make that decision? So if they received a letter from three different churches, do you choose the one in X, Y, or Z? Well, I believe the Lord gives us a, an understanding, a, in, enough of an understanding in his word that we can make some decisions. For example... Uh, you you guys know my dad has to use oxygen a lot, so it would not be feasible for him to go to maybe some parts of the country where it would be not beneficial for his health. Okay, let's say Brother Breck, uh, Brother Breck Merkel, the Glory Project. Uh, he was in Southeast Asia. He was in Thailand for 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 several years. Had the opportunity to actually cross illegally into Myanmar while he was there had the opportunity to train pastors how does he make that decision to come home how does he make the decision to continue working where he's working well one of his children developed medical problems that necessitated him having to come back to the states so if he has to come back to the states is he no longer in the will of God absolutely not Now, God is now using him to be able to reach out into seven or eight different countries, whereas before he was only in one. So we can't say that, no, that's definitely not God's will for his or her life in order to be able to do whatever it is that that we believe God wants us to do. The question is, why are we doing it? Because we have to be doing it in a way that shows that we are seeking to live a holy life. Now, if you go back to your lesson right from page, right from page one, I'm going to touch on a couple of points here. Understanding the difference between God's will and God's plan, the will of God concerns our what? What does it say? Spiritual development. Now, we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, when do we stop growing as Christians? 
when we die, when we go to heaven. That, that's, that's when we'll start growing. And that process is actually termed progressive sanctification. Okay? It's a process. Um, it, it, it's salvation is the miracle of a moment. I can't remember which minister said that. Do you remember, Dad? It's the miracle of a moment, but the, but the growing of a Christian is the process of a lifetime, basically is what the quote says. So when we look, we have to be asking ourselves, are we growing, are we becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ? For example, if we've been saved for, say, a period of 10 years or 15 years, and our life is no different today than it was 15 years ago, we've got an issue. We're not growing. There's a problem with our sanctification. Now, does that mean, be very careful here, does that mean that we're not saved? Not necessarily. It could be that we are living a life that is in which we are miserable, that we are unhappy, that there are things that God may be using to be able to get our attention. Somebody asked me this morning, um, and, and they asked me in regards to uh, the, 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 the unforgivable sin. And I said, well, I said, I believe the unforgivable sin against the Holy Spirit or against God is when we choose or when we or if we as an unbeliever reject what the Holy Spirit is seeking to guide us into. In other words, the only sin that is not forgiven when you, if you die without Christ is that sin. That you die without Christ. Being a drunkard, being addicted to something, those things are not what sends you to hell. What sends you to hell is being apart from God and not having a personal relationship with Him. So in that personal relationship, it's just like when our children, when we were looking at some pictures the other day, Dad was showing us a couple of pictures of the girls that they went to the library a few years ago, and I couldn't believe how little they were. And they didn't listen. They just kept on growing. They keep on eating. It's amazing the way that works, Sister Debbie. And they just keep getting taller and they shot right by Violet and then they shot by me and they still don't want to be done. And I was like, no, you've got to stop. You've got to stop. Do I have a choice in whether they grow or not? No. None of us have a choice in whether our children will grow. It's because it is within them. It is in their genetics Whatever God has preordained them to be is what they will be. And it's no different with us in the Christian life. God the Father saves us and he predestines us, Romans chapter 8, to be conformed to the image of his Son. You can't stop that from happening if you're a true believer. That means there are things that you may go through that you are not going to like. I guarantee it because sometimes God has to take us out to the woodshed. Sometimes we have to be taught some very painful lessons. Now, don't misunderstand me though, because our God is not, our Father in heaven is not a capricious God. In other words, if we come to church and we have some money in our pocket and we don't put it in the offering, we're not going to go out of here and have to worry about whether we're going to get four flat tires tomorrow morning on the way to work. Okay? Now, at the same time, though, neither do we want to give because we're hoping that God will miraculously somehow give us four brand new tires on the way to work. Because we can, if we're not careful, end up treating God like he's a little genie. 
But that's not what the spiritual life is all about. It's simply accepting because if we go down the road, let's say that we do go down the road, and as we're driving, we get a flat tire. Now normally, what's our response? Don't, don't say it out loud. But if you're going to be late for work, or you're going to be late for an appointment, or you're going to be late for whatever, and something like that happens, do we actually look at that and say, God, thank you for allowing this to be a part of your will? Well, it could have been. Sure. But but here's where I want us to be careful: is that we don't make Christianity some kind of mystical, right. nebulous, you know, something out there in the cloud. Because yes, it is possible that if if we have an accident and we come to a stop, and then right in front of us there's an accident. Yes, that could be the case. It could be that we simply had a flat tire maybe because we didn't take care of the tires. It could be that as we are driving down the road and we actually have that, it may be the only reason that may have happened is so that God would get the glory and that he will slow us down like the accident that Brother Diego had. I mean, why of all places for that to happen? I mean, it could have happened in Cheyenne. Could have happened in Laramie on a ride. It could have happened anywhere. But it happens on the way to Torrington. And so now he's got seven or eight or nine months in which God is using this to be able to get his attention. Now, we need to be careful here though. Do you remember the account that the Lord Jesus Christ, the man who was born blind? And what is the what do the Pharisees, the religious leaders say? Well, who sinned? Was it Brother Diego or was it Sister Janet that caused this accident? You know, it may not have been either one of them, but simply that God would get the glory. There may be something. <coughs> there may be something in Brother Diego's life that God is using this to be able to have him step back for just a little bit to reassess what's going on in his life. Is that all of a sudden God's new will? All of a sudden, God in his sovereignty sitting up there on the throne looks down and goes, oh man, I should have kept my eye on him. Angels, why weren't you doing your job? He just had an accident. <laughs> I mean, is that the way God operates? Absolutely not. God, go ahead. Yep. I, I've been there, I've done it myself. Yeah. Absolutely not. You know, now, is it possible that that person is out of the will of God? Yes, but let's not jump to that conclusion immediately, not knowing what's going on in their life. For example, if you come on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening, somebody is struggling, they have a sour look on their face, we can automatically, as humans, jump to the conclusion, well, they've got X, Y, or Z going on in their life. You don't know that. I mean, I'll share this as an example. Brother Carl walked into the room this morning, the prayer room this morning. He walked in 15 minutes late. Carl is always here early. When he comes, he is always here. And he stood in the door, and I knew, looking at his face, something was wrong. And somebody he had known for 21 years who used to be, it was a, it was a, a, a he had been married to this lady 21 years ago. And regardless of what has happened between now and then, regardless of why they were not married now, 
the point is that God has used this to be able to get his attention. Somebody called him up last night at 642 and she had passed away. She was 61 years old. You don't think something like that will get your attention? So we could look at that situation. They could turn around. He could walk in, not talk with anybody, turn around and walk back out of service and nobody would have known what's going on in Carl's life. This is why the fellowship of the saints is so important. Because as family, as Brother Diego said, when he was up here sharing, if, if we don't, we have to be the hands and the feet, but if the, hand, the hands and the feet have to know what's going on because we engage our brain. We know what's going on. We know what's happening. Do we do it perfectly? No, we don't. But part of God's will is teaching us to be able to how to respond to one another. I've never seen Carl with tears in his eyes. He came up to me after service this morning, after the Lord's table. And he was so thankful. He says, now I understand. He says, we can't pray for her because she's gone. Very simple in his faith. And I said, no, that's true. But we can pray for the family and friends that God will be glorified through this death. That makes a difference in somebody's life. We have to be willing to look at those situations and ask ourselves, well, what would happen if we were in that situation? Knowing the difference between God's will and God's plan. You see, secondly, God's plan concerns our spiritual deployment. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. You and I have been chosen to be soldiers. That is in God's will. But how that plan interacts, because God has some people on the front lines. God has some people as general officers. God has some people that need to mop the floor. God has some people that need to straighten the chairs or whatever it may be. Teach the Sunday school classes or take up the offering or play the instruments, whatever it may be. That is God's plan for you whenever he has placed you there. So be faithful. We could live, somebody was talking with me in regards to how we can live in our past this last week. And, and I said, well, that's true, we can, but if we're not careful, if all we're doing is living with the what-ifs of life, all we're going to do is be miserable. What if I had done this 20 years ago? What if I had done this five years ago? You didn't do it five years ago or 20 years ago. You're right where you're at today, so you must move forward. We can't second guess what it is that God has in store for us. I mean, we could look, for example, at, at our life as missionaries or mom and dad's life as missionaries and, and, and as they were going about it, and, and when they first went to the mission field, one of the places that they had actually considered was going down to southern Bolivia, southern part of Bolivia in South America. Man, would my life have been different. <laughs> Yes, I would have. But in, if they had gone, gone down that path, would they have been wrong to have gone down that path? If they made the wrong decision on why they were going, then yes. But God could have easily have taken there as he did to go to England. And then when they left there and they went to Germany and then they came back here eventually to the States, God moved in every step of the way. 
And the question is, are we going to be faithful exactly where he placed us? I don't know every one of your hearts. I don't know where you're at. You may only be here for a short time. You may only be here for six months or for a year. God may move you in a job to another state, another part of the world. The question is, are you being faithful here? Because if you can't be faithful here, you can't expect God to let you be faithful somewhere else. I've told this to a number of people who have said down through the years, especially young men, and they've come up and they've said something like this, and I'm sure my dad has heard this before. Well, I believe God has called me to preach. Well, what are you doing right now? Nothing. Are you trying? Well, no, I just believe God wants me to preach. Well, if you're not learning to hone your gift or the talent that you believe God has given you, God is not going to use you. You have to be faithful. You have to be willing to step out and say, I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to pay the cost. Uh, How many of you would like to have to go and have heart surgery with somebody who's never been to med school? No volunteers? I wouldn't. Why would we want to come to church and listen to somebody who is not seeking? For example, go downstairs. I challenge you. Don't listen to this, Brother Diego. I want you to get a big head. Go downstairs and look at Brother Diego's board. What he has for Sunday school class. And you'll see the amount of work that goes into just preparing for one series of lessons. That's faithfulness. Faithfulness is taking the material that is used, whether it's for the young people downstairs in the junior church or in the classes, and teaching them every single week. What if you get disturbed? What if things change? What if they don't show up this Sunday? Coming back next Sunday and being prepared to teach them the lesson you were going to teach them last week. That's faithfulness. Coming and simply doing what you said you're going to do. That's faithfulness. This is what the will of God is. These are some of the specific things that Paul talks about here when he says we need to understand what the dimension is of God's will. The first one in 1 Thessalonians, for the sake of time, we're not going to read all of these, but we are to live holy lives. God desires our sanctification. Now this particular one, right at the beginning, he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification or your growth, your becoming like the Lord Jesus Christ, that you abstain from what? Sexual immorality. Now what does that mean? That means anything apart from the standard that God has for marriage. One man, one woman, for life. That's what the standard is. So if we're doing anything other than that in our life, then we are stepping out of the will of God. It could be an addiction. It could be, it could be whatever it may be. It could be any kind of a relationship. If that is not in line with Scripture, then we are not in the will of God. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, we are to give, and again, we're just going to cover a few of these points. We are to give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Going down the road, we have a flat tire. Going down the road, we run out of gas. It may be that we have to go through that because there's something that God wants to teach us today. But if we are going to be understanding of the sovereignty of God, <coughs> here's the sovereignty of God again. God can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, with any person he wants, for any purpose he wants, which is to bring honor and glory to himself. That is the sovereignty of God. 
You see, there's a big difference between King Charles III and God. King Charles III still has rules that he has to abide by. He doesn't actually rule, he reigns. There is a difference between ruling and reigning when it comes to the kings and queens of England. The difference with our God is that our God rules and reigns. God doesn't need your permission or my permission in order to be able to do whatever it is that he's going to do. So what happens when something comes up in our life and the first words out of our mouth are, Why me, Lord? What have we just done? Think about this with me. Brother Corey? We're blaming God. God, it's all your fault. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died, said Mary and Martha to Lazarus, or about Lazarus, talking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you not understand, Mary? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you not understand that the things that God has planned for you in your life are specifically ordained for you? Everything that you do, the jobs that you do, the places that you go, there are places I've been in my life that you will never go. There are places that you've gone, same thing. There are jobs you've done that I'll never do. Same thing with me. But God has them there for a reason. So we are to give thanks in all things. As I shared with you a while back, we were complaining because the gas prices had gone up. If you drive a diesel, it had gone up to over $5 a gallon. When we were in the bush in Liberia, we were actually paying almost $7 a gallon. Excuse me, for very poor gas that we had to filter to be able to put in our little 1994 Toyota 4Runner. Lord, thank you that we can even have money in the bank to buy gas. You see how that changes our perspective? Because if we want to be in the will of God, we have to be willing to give thanks for everything. Lord, I don't understand why this illness, this sickness, this cancer, this death, this whatever it is has come into my life, but your will be done, not mine. It will change the way that we respond to God and it will also change the way we respond to others because now when I go through something like that and I have the answer, I can go up to Brother Diego or somebody else who's going through a difficult time and I can say, Brother, I don't understand exactly what you're going through because my circumstances are not yours, but I want you to know that I have the answer and that is Jesus Christ. You see, now I can offer hope to him. This is what 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says. Be ready always to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. If I can't do that, I haven't truly learned how to sympathize and empathize with people. I've ridden a motorcycle, but I've never laid one down. I've never seen death flash before my eyes on a motorcycle. I've seen it in other circumstances. So I'll never be able to understand. So one of the things that we do sometimes is we come up and say, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I know how you feel. No, you don't. We will never understand how Brother Diego felt sliding down the road at 55 miles an hour. Even if you and I were to get on a motorcycle and have an accident and go sliding down the road, it's not the same situation as what he went through.
1 Peter chapter 2, and I encourage you to read these verses. 1 Peter chapter 2, we are to submit to every ordinance of man. Listen, you, several of you already know how much I do not like politics. Okay? But at the end of the day, it is God's will that we submit in any area that is not a violation of Scripture. In other words, there's a big difference between, between being told, we don't recommend that you gather in groups of more than 10 or 15 or 20, versus, no, you can't open the doors of your church, no, you can't preach on a Sunday because of COVID or because of whatever. And I'm thankful that the leadership here at the time kept the doors of Yellowstone Baptist Church open. There are a lot of churches here in Cheyenne even that have not recovered from that. We must, we ought to obey God rather than man is what the disciples told the leaders. But it must be balanced. Look at Romans chapter 5, or Romans chapter 12. We are not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. For this is the acceptable and perfect will of God. So we can know that what God's will is, is not that we engage in whatever sin it is that we are enjoying for a season. What is it that we're supposed to do? We're supposed to change our minds, renew them to the point that we think differently about that sin. The world is going to endorse, the evil one is going to endorse, friends, colleagues, maybe even family are going to endorse at times whatever sin you choose to be involved in in your life. And you either have to agree with them or you're going to have to be willing to change your mind to what God sees or how God sees that sin. That's God's will. Ephesians chapter 6, we are to serve those who are in authority from, a, with a, from the heart with pure motives as if we are serving Jesus Christ. That means even in our workplace, for example, if there is something that is requested of us, we should be doing it. I remember Dad using the example when he was in Mississippi, stationed in Mississippi. I think you were just sharing it with somebody. I don't remember, was it, was it you that you were sharing it with? And he was out there and he was sweeping the sidewalk and he had mowed the grass and he just swept the sidewalk and some of it was missing and some of it he had gotten and looked around and said, good enough for government work. <laughs> you know what my dad said? And he's told this illustration for years. God got a hold of his heart. It's not about whether it's good enough for government work. It's about whether it's good enough for God. Because God is much higher than government. So serving those who are in authority. There are times when we may be asked to do things that we don't like. I learned a long time ago, you were talking about being humbled in a job. I remember one of the first jobs I had. They asked me to do something. It was something mundane. Go put toilet paper rolls in the men's stall or whatever it was. I think it was a men's stall had to have one and the ladies' stall had to have one. And first words out of my mouth were, well, that's not my job. You know what? The HR manager who heard me, overheard me, called me into her office and she said, you're right, it's not in your job description, but there's another line in your job description that says if there's something that we need, we can ask you to do it. And I had to learn the hard way that sometimes we do things that we don't like. We are to redeem the time. 
Ephesians chapter 5. This is one of the things that Dad talked about in the first teenagers uh, meeting downstairs. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. This is God's will. Make use of the time that God gives you no matter how small it is. That's important. You're going down the road. Brother Corey, you have shared this repeatedly. You're going down the road. You could be choosing to listen to rock station or country station or whatever it may be. And instead, a lot of times you're listening to the Word of God being preached. That's taking advantage. You see, we don't have, we don't have any more time than anybody else. The President of the United States has 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, just like you and I do. Difference is he's got a lot more responsibility and he's got a lot more people to be able to help him get through those, resp- through those responsibilities. He still has to eat. He still has to sleep. He still has to do all of those things. And so do we. And the question is, are we being faithful with how we're using our time? That's the will of God. We all get 24 hours. That's it. God's will for every believer is to be conformed. We've already looked at this. We see in the salvation from the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 through 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 through 2 speaks about our sanctification. How are we changing? And ultimately, and this is the one that we can really look forward to, are all the spiritual blessings that are in heavenly places when we are glorified with the Lord Jesus Christ. No sin, no crying, no death, no tears. Nothing to detract us from the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Understand, number three, God's direction in your life by the resources that he has provided. And here's what they are. We've already looked at this. Brother uh, brother uh, Sam has already covered these very well. Number one is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides you in all truth because he indwells you. The same Holy Spirit that indwells me is the same one that indwells you, Sister Ramona. Same one that dwells you, Brother Sam. Same one that dwells you, Brother Corey. So therefore, it's important for us to remember that the Holy Spirit is not going to allow you to do something that he won't allow me to do. He's not going to endorse some kind of sin in my life and allow you to do it in yours or criticize you for doing it. Now, that doesn't mean that we're all on the same page. For example, what if somebody believes that it's not acceptable to drink any kind of alcohol? Does the Bible say that we can't have a glass? Be very careful here. Does the Bible say that we can't have a glass of wine? No? Yep. But what is the reference to in this passage when he talks in Ephesians chapter 5? Be not drunk with wine. In other words, don't be controlled with the excesses of whatever it is that we're doing. You know, it's amazing to me. We could wax eloquent on a message about drinking and yet not say anything about gluttony. If we're not careful, I mean, if we're going to be if we're going to be truthful about what the Word of God has to say, it's about being careful in every area can be in excess. We can spend way too much time on whatever it may be. Is there anything wrong, for example, in going camping or going boating? Absolutely not. Or fishing. Absolutely not. But are those things taking over our lives to such a point that it is crowding out the Lord Jesus Christ in his word? That's where we know we've crossed the line. 
He's given you the Word of God. Somebody pointed that out. Sterling did. In regards to how do we know God's will? Right here. You want to hear God speak to you audibly? Read it out loud. And He'll speak to you audibly. Because He's not going to tell you something different. I, I, I have, and I'm sure Dad has, and maybe some of you, uh, some of you have heard this as well. Uh, you ask somebody, well, how do you know? Well, I just know because God told me. God came to me in the middle of the night. After I had just eaten a large pepperoni pizza with anchovies and extra mushrooms and jalapenos. And God came to me in this great big vision and he told me. Uh, wait a minute, does that line up with scripture? God will never allow you to do something or give you the guarantee to be able to do something if it is not already given in his word. Now, don't get the misunderstanding. God's not going to tell you to go down and buy a Toyota versus a Ford. He's not going to tell you to drive a cab over versus a Peterbilt or whatever it is. He's not going to do those things. But what he is going to do is he will give you wisdom if you ask him to help you to be a good steward of the money and the resources you have. So the word of God. And he's given the local church. Again, so many people I have heard down through the years, they don't want to hear what God's word has to say. All they want to hear is just rubber stamp, just endorse what it is that I want to do. Doesn't work that way. Because the church is there for, uh, do you know, and, and some of you are new so you weren't here when, and I'm thankful for that, the Lord is growing the church, his church. Uh, but as I shared with the congregation when I first came, do you know that a pastor is also accountable to the congregation just like the congregation is accountable to the pastor? We all work together. We're all accountable to one another. So if there are things that you see in my life or I see in you, let me remind you of the covenant that we have right here. Will you faithfully assemble with this body of believers, striving to maintain unity and doing all you can to stimulate love and good deeds in others as you seek to exercise your gifts in faithful service? Will you always be willing to both give and receive admonition and instruction with meekness and in love? And then we even ask the congregation, will you commit to pray for their spiritual growth, to encourage them in their Christian walk, to humbly admonish should the need arise in biblical discipleship? That's part of God's will. The Bible doesn't know anything or speak at all of an unchurched Christian. The Bible only speaks of a Christian who is part of a local body of believers. This is how God chooses to manifest his bride to the world. Understanding God's priority. Number one, obedience to God's will is more important than the discovery of God's plan. In other words, God will never send you the right person. He will never send you to the right country if you're not willing to do what he wants you to do right where you're at now. 
B, God is more interested in what you are than in what you do. Are you a faithful Christian? If you're not a faithful Christian, why, why does God care whether you go and want to be a missionary to a foreign land? In other words, you have to be, again, it comes down to faithfulness. This is the will of God. So here are some basic questions. Why doesn't God reveal all the details of his direction for me now? When I went to Bible college, man, we all showed up as freshmen. And somehow I think that, especially a lot of the young ladies, they didn't come from a bachelor, they didn't come for a bachelor's degree, they came for an MRS degree. Some of you will get that later. And they thought, and we all thought in some way that God would just write on the skies, you will marry so-and-so. Well, you know what's sad? In fact, there was a situation at Faith Baptist Church in Brumswell, England, when it was open. And I remember two young men who were in the church. One of them was Jerry Krebsbach. You remember Jerry? Yeah. And Jerry and another young man were actually, had been dating this one young lady who was in the military. And both of them were soundly convinced that they were both God's will for that young lady. <laughs> you can imagine some of the conversations that took place. I mean, they'd go out to pizza and she would have one on each arm. I mean, there was nothing untoward that was going on, but they were both convinced that they just had to outdo the other one in order to be able to get her to the altar. In the end, Jerry lost. And I remember going up and asking them, because they were friends of mine, the other guy more so than Jerry, and I said, well, how did you know? He said, well, the Lord just worked out all of the details. I couldn't tell you how or why. Why me and not Jerry Krebsbach? Because God had opened the door for one and not the other. And as long as we are walking in his will, again, I shared this in the last lesson, but as long as we're walking in his will, you have two paths in front of you. Choose A, choose B. You can choose either one of them. You have the right reasons to be able to choose either A or B. Just make a choice. There are a lot of people who don't do things in the Christian life because they just get, they ground to a halt. They don't do anything. They just sit there. They stagnate. Why does God, again, in his will, as we are talking about, why does God seemingly allow bad things to happen? Well, if we actually begin to have a biblical perspective and we begin to get to a point where we are of so we are so uh, we are so heavenly minded that we are now of some earthly good which is the way it should be if we get to that point in our life we will realize that no matter what as Paul said by life or by death we are the Lord's that, that's, that's the reality of the Christian walk good things bad things I mean you want to talk about bad things let's go talk about Job And when you've lost all of your 10,000 camels that you've got parked at your house, Brother Gabriel, and when you get lose all of your 10,000 sheep, and when the Sabians come in and they destroy everything and take all of your gold and then all of, ten children, all 10 of your children die in the same day while they're having a party in their oldest brother's house, then let's talk. And yet the Bible says in all 
these things, Job did not sin with his mouth. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job chapter 23 verse 10. When he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. Which would you rather have? Earthly treasures or be counted as gold before the Father? That's the will of God. Brother Diego shared in regards to what happened. Stood up here in front of you and shared one of the first things they did when he got up was, thank you, Lord. You know, not all of us would necessarily get up and that wouldn't necessarily be the first thing that goes through our, our mind is, thank you, Lord. What if the news would have been worse? Still, we have to say, thank you, Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's not easy to accept. God does allow us to make our own choices. We can choose for evil, or we can choose good. What choices do we make? Somebody asked me this morning in regards to quenching the Holy Spirit, and I said, well, yes, we can as believers. We can we can say, Lord, what do you want me to do? You have now heard the message this evening. We have given you God's word in regards to his will, so we're either going to apply it or we're not going to apply it. Now, that doesn't mean that God's will has changed. He's not going to change his will to match what you think you want to have out of life. But it may be that God will have to take you and I down through some very difficult paths, some very dark valleys in order to be able to get our attention. Look at that picture over there on the wall. Now, it's not my favorite picture, I'll be honest. I've admitted that to some of you. But one of the things that I like about that picture is the valley on the way to the cross. Do you think there were some valleys the Lord Jesus Christ had to go through? Yeah. And when we go into the valleys, if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, you'll know the story. He goes down into the valley. There are times he can't even see ahead of him very far. He can't see the end of the valley. He can't even see all of the darts that are being thrown at him by Apollyon, by Beelzebub, the evil one. And yet, what is he called to do? One step. Take his sword, or his shield, carry his sword, one step at a time. One step at a time. God's not going to ever tell you how many steps you've got to take in this life. But he will tell you what the end result's going to be. He'll tell you what to be prepared for at the end. And as Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And why is that? Because our Lord had nothing to fear. He conquered evil. He conquered the grave. He conquered hell. He conquered death. He conquered Satan. So that we can live a life that is pleasing to him in his will. Not outside of his will. You try to live outside of his will, you're going to be miserable. I guarantee it because I've been there, I've done that. Too many t-shirts to prove it. Let's pray. Lord, there are times that your will is not easy. As the song says, am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? Should I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? No, Lord, that's not what we need. 
we need to be toughened up. Just like going to basic training in the military and you go through some tough times, you learn how to be a cohesive unit. It's the same way it is in the Christian life. Lord, we are in a battle and we as Christians need to re be reminded of that constantly. There is a battle that is out there. We are on a battlefield. But when we get through to the other side, it will have been worth it all. Thank you for this study on the will of God. And as we continue through each one of these lessons, looking next time at the church, the importance of the local church, may we understand these words from Scripture. May we accept them, be willing to accept them, even if we don't necessarily like them. Thank you again for each one who is here this evening. Go with us by your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' precious name and all God's people said.